morning, church. Today we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 11. So if you want to crack open your Bibles, if not, words should be on the screen. All right. The resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Have we pray? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together. I pray that you speak through these words that I'm about to share. And God, may these words that have been spoken by a number of other people before me just resonate with your Holy Spirit, God. And may these words inspire, may these words touch the hearts of the people in this room and the people online watching and people everywhere, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this, um, this passage, these words that Paul is sharing, I'm actually going to start with verses three, and, 3 to 8, where it's kind of known as a creed in the early church. It's a sort of a, a sequence of words that they would have known and used as a way to remember their reason, a way to remember their purpose. It's the events that led them to why they were here. And they also provide a bit of legitimacy. You see, Christ didn't just live a good life and solve everyone's problems. He was killed. And when I say killed, he was properly killed. He was buried. And it also took him a bit of time to get resurrected. It wasn't like a down, back up again sort of thing. It wasn't that sort of common trope that you see in um, like medical dramas where someone dies and then is brought back to life, that sort of thing. And I, I do italics because it's more of a resuscitation. Um, it's not a true death and then wait three days and then bring back to life. This, this is a, it was a three-day sort of deal that Jesus was working with. And it wasn't like a spiritual ghost-like, there's my Halloween reference, we can get that through, <laughs> resurrection either. He appeared physically to people. It wasn't the mysterious, oh, wow, it's Jesus. It's, hey, Jesus, let me see your hands. So that is what Paul was talking about. But I think I'm going to boil everything I'm going to say down, say today to one simple point that I think Paul is trying to make through this whole section, and that is the gospel. Also known as the good news. Now, I want to run by you guys how I approach this sermon today, um, and so to kind of give you a, a summary of what I'm going to talk about. 
Um, so after re- reading this passage and rereading this passage and rereading this passage and rereading this passage, um, I still didn't get it. But <laughs> number one, what is Paul trying to say here? What does it mean to me? And what am I going to do about it? And my answers were this. The gospel is central. I need to know what the gospel is, and I need to share it. So let's start with the first one. What is the gospel? And I'd like to now cash in my Sunday school card, the tried and true, the always answer, Jesus. Thank you for listening to my sermon today. I hope you got a lot out of it. Um, Can the worship team please come up, and I'll pray for you all. Okay, now I do believe the answer is actually Jesus, and always will be Jesus. But I suppose we can look into it a little bit further. Now, you've probably all heard the word gospel being used to describe, say, like the first four books of the Old, uh, old no, New Testament, um, the four accounts of the gospel written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they're not the gospel of Matthew, or the gospel of Mark, or the gospel of Luke, or the gospel of John. You know that, right? It's, it's not that. It's the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. That's a, that's a really important distinction because they're all telling the same story. I, I know one of the arguments made um, about the biblical legitimacy, it's the fact that people say, oh, these four stories about Jesus, they're all slightly different. They're like not the same. Like That's fantastic that they're not the same because it's four different people's perspective, four, four different people's ideas of how everything went down. They're four different stories, but they all share the same focus. And that focus is that Christ lived, he was killed, he was buried, and raised to life. But not just that, Christ died for our sins, and his resurrection is a sign of justification with God. I'll just say that again. So Christ died for our sins, And his resurrection is a sign of our justification with God. This is the gospel. But the gospel makes some assumptions, though, doesn't it? I imagine if you're sitting here today, you can at least grasp the concept of what Paul is claiming here, that we're sinners and we need atonement for what we've done and what humanity as a whole has done since the beginning. And that it's only God who can offer that, and he offers it through his son's sacrifice. But I want you to step into the life of a non-Christian. Hey, how about you even step into the life of someone who does not know anything about Christianity? Died for our sins? Sin? That's a concept that goes beyond human morality or human justice. It's an idea that our actions are accountable to a greater being. They're accountable to God. How on earth is someone who doesn't know God or doesn't understand what sin is supposed to get that? And justification? There's something wrong with me? Sure, we've all got like that nagging feeling all the time that something's not right, that oh, maybe it shouldn't be, like the conscience, that sort of thing. But we're broken and we need fixing. The good news won't seem like good news to some. And really, it won't seem like good news to your everyday Australian. But we'll get more into that later. The first step of this challenge of the gospel is how well do we know it? And I want to highlight four points about knowing the gospel that I think are really helpful. First one is, you talk about what you love, and you love what you talk about. 
I found this idea in a book that I was reading to prepare for this sermon um, by Jeff Vanderstelt uh, titled, Gospel Fluency, Speaking the Truths of Jesus into the Everyday Stuff of Life. You talk about what you love and you love what you talk about. Isn't that the truth? Now, I've got an adorable little two-year-old girl, and when I say adorable, it's because she has her adorable moments. Um, For instance, this was her yesterday. She's a bit cute. Okay, and the next one, there's a photo of her um, with me at my cousin's wedding. That's when I had hair. Well, mostly. You can see that nice little glaring spot at the top. Um, And then finally, um, there's a photo of her being like, I'm the cutest thing in the world. I love my daughter. I talk about her a lot. And you know what? The more I talk about her, the more I share with people the stories about her and reflect on what she's done, the more I grow to love her. Having people engage and at least seem interested, at least like seem interested, validates and connects my love for Alex. And this is a very stereotypical first parent thing, but it works. Now, has anyone here ever met anyone who does CrossFit? How about someone who homeschools their kids? Or any vegans? (laughs) Now, I know this is just joking, but it's, it's, it's a joke that is a joke for a reason. It's because people who, like, it's stereotypical because people love this, these things about themselves and they love sharing about it. It's fantastic. They, they want to learn how to love something more and so they share about it and it's become stereotypical of this. But why isn't it stereotypical of us as Christians? Living the gospel requires loving it. And if you're loving something, you should be talking about it. For the bold and courageous extroverts, go talk to strangers on the street. Go talk to to people who you don't know. Introverts, you don't have to talk to people you don't know. Go talk to your close friends. Go talk to your family. Start talking to grow in love and to show that you love. The second point is one of the things that Paul actually opens up um, this section of the Bible where he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. And in my opinion, this is the climax of 1 Corinthians. This is what he really wants to drive home. We need reminders. We forget. I literally forget sentences I'm saying as I... Repetition is key. Okay? Repetition is key. Repetition is key. There you go. Part of my work as a teacher, um, and every teacher ever, um, we know that the likelihood of the average student... Remembering anything you tell them once is really low. And honestly, that's not just high schoolers. That's adults too. Has anyone here ever looked back on a moment? Yeah, ever looked back on a moment that would have been perfect for you to share the love of Christ with someone in your life, but you didn't? Like maybe it was because you were scared, but I don't even think like if you were scared. 
What if it was because you were busy talking about the footy? Or you just didn't, it didn't come to you, you just didn't think about sharing the gospel in that, that setting. Paul is, rem- is reminding us that we need to remind each other. And you know the best thing about reminding each other, it requires talking about what you love. See, repetition is key. Now, the third point. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. This, is, this third point um, about living the gospel is all about the why. Without the good news, nothing matters. Without the saving and redeeming love of, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our church is a glorified charity. Our Sunday celebrations are a concert with a TED Talk. Our life groups are just friends hanging out, maybe doing a bit of therapy together or being good citizens to the public. And you know what the real sucky thing about this is? There's plenty of places and organizations that do it way better than us. So if we don't believe the gospel, why are we here? Now, I believe that we do know the gospel. I believe that we know this good news and that we do put Jesus at the center. I believe that we know that our Sunday services are about getting together to truly worship our God and Father as one body and to learn and equip ourselves with knowledge from the scriptures so that we can go out and share the good news and so that we can share the good news with each other as fellow Christians. I believe that our life groups are a place where we just don't just hang out and do good things and make ourselves feel better, but they're places where we link arm in arm with each other and build each other up so that we can go out and spread the gospel. But Paul's challenge is this. We need to hold firmly to the word that has been preached. Now, this is not the word that I am preaching. It's not my words. It's not what I say. It's not even what Luke says or Yoy or Rachel or Brian or anyone, but it's the words of Jesus and the words of God in our hearts and in the scriptures. My final point um, in terms of knowing our gospel is, is all about authority. Now, Hands up if you think you have the authority to come up here and do what I'm doing, preach in front of the church. Oh, wow. Okay, let's try something else. Who here has actively persecuted Christians and the church, arresting and imprisoning those who believe? Hands up. No? Oh, well, Paul did. For I am the least of the apostles, he wrote. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. We don't have to be perfect. In fact, we can be rubbish. But our authority is not based on what we do. It is not authority because I ticked all the boxes. I have a theology degree. I blah, blah, blah. It's not because I'm a professional. Our authority comes from who God is. And who we are because of God. It's our identity in Christ. It's knowing that God is our father. He's our king. And that gives us authority. If your father is the king, that makes you a a prince or a princess. Yeah. That means you have authority. Now, let's do a quick recap. We know that the gospel is, we know what the gospel is, and we know that it's central. We need to talk more about it, and we need to be reminded about it. And we have authority to share it. Now comes the, how would you like to do this moment? But, you see, we tend to avoid Jesus as the answer sometimes. Going back to that Sunday school idea, 
when we avoid Jesus as the answer, we, we fail. How on earth are we supposed to talk about Jesus, about this sort of stuff with non-Christians? How are we supposed to approach our colleagues or our family members or our teammates or friends with this huge news, especially when they don't want to listen? We have to speak the truth in love. Now, Annalise, Luke and I, we're um, currently involved in a course designed to help equip and teach people in ministry settings to share the gospel and effectively to plant churches. It's been really fantastic so far um, and has had a lot of challenges but a lot of encouragement along the way. Uh, The central focus for one of the units we're doing right now is contextualization. Can you all say that for me? Contextualization. There you go. Nice big long word. Um, Does everyone know what that means? Yeah, cool. So how can we share Jesus with people who don't want to listen? How we share Jesus can't be by throwing Bibles at them, hoping they stick. It can't even be the same way that the missionaries and evangelists were doing 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Coming back to a point I made earlier, good news to some isn't good news to others. But I don't want you getting caught up in the hard hearts, deaf ears excuse. Okay, Just say, oh, they obviously don't want to listen because their hearts are closed off, their ears are closed off. Because I think the problem isn't, sometimes isn't that, sometimes it's us. Um, and we need to sometimes find, find a way that will actually succeed. Of course, a little side note is, absolutely, yes, all this is possible through the grace and love of God and the Holy Spirit guiding us. Sometimes it just has nothing to do with us. In fact, a lot of time it has nothing to do with us. But sometimes it does. Now, I believe in order to contextualize, we need to figure out where people are. But how do we find out where a person is in their life to best contextualize the gospel for them? Well, be their friend. And you know what? This is hard for me because I think I've had a pretty rubbish track record at being friends with people. So when I was doing this and when I was preparing this, this was all self-indulgence right from this point on because I need to hear this more than anyone. And I need to know more about being friends than anyone. So I call this section the Jesus Guide to Being Friends. Jesus was so good at making friends. He inspired them. He guided them. He loved them and he challenged them. The fact that we're still talking about him and his closest friends today means that something worked. I'm now going to have a chat to you about five important steps in this Jesus guide to being friends that um, they're not limited to five steps. These are just five I came up with, but I think these are important. So the first thing is we're not meant to go it alone. It is not good that man should be alone. That's Genesis 2, verse 18. That's the beginning of the Bible. We're literally designed to not be alone. We're designed to work in community, to draw from others and share our lives. And this leads to the need for real, authentic relationships, not just chatting with someone on the internet, not just kind of writing letters. Do people write letters still? Yeah, not just that. It's real interactions. And we've seen through the the heartache and the struggle over in the eastern states of people who have been locked down in their houses with no interaction except for the people in their house, how this really breaks people. This really hurts. I know how far Zoom and other chat things have come, but they're no match for real eye contact or a hug, 
or a pat on the shoulder. The second point is that friendship requires sacrifice. Jesus did it completely. He sacrificed his life for his friends. It says so in John 15, 13, that there's no greater love than to sacrifice oneself for their friends. But I'm not saying you need to die for your friends, but we need to make sacrifices to our self-centered lives in order to build relationship. Now, this might be mean going out for coffee during your nap time or sacrifice having the food that you like so that you can go to the favorite restaurant of your friends. Or driving your friend to the hospital and staying with you for over five hours when nothing was that wrong. Thanks, Johnny. (laughs) Sacrifices can be small. They can be easy. But a small thing on your behalf can sometimes mean a really big thing for someone else. Now, the third one is we need to find common ground. Now, this is part of the contextualizing the gospel that um, I actually sort of learned about through a book that we're studying called Center Church by Timothy Keller. Um, And in his book, he talks about A beliefs and B beliefs. Now, an A belief is a belief that we share with others. So we look through the the gospel and Jesus says, love one another. For most people, that's a shared belief. You can go up to someone and say, hey, cool. We both love, like, we both believe that this is a good thing. This is something we can believe. So that's a common ground, a connection. B beliefs are things that are biblical truths that people don't, the people who don't know Jesus, who don't understand, don't believe. So, for instance, we need atonement for our sin. That is something that most people are going to go, no, 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 no. I don't believe that. We need to start by finding that common ground. Find those A beliefs and say, look, okay, let's not worry about this stuff in, in, in the gospel yet. And I say yet because we need to get there eventually. But let's not worry about that stuff. Let's focus on these things that you do really like about Christianity. How we can do justice, how we can help the poor, how, can, how we can do all these things, find those A beliefs, that common ground. Jesus did, does this. When he first calls his disciples, he starts talking about things like fishing, okay? And people are like, oh, hang on, I, I know this. I know how this works. Cool, oh, okay. Now you're leading to me, oh, okay, now we're getting into the more deeper stuff, deeper stuff. But he starts with something common, something they can all relate to. Now the fourth one, this is a big one, but really it's quite self-explanatory. We need to show love. And I kind of want to bring up this a buzzword in the church, which is pastoral care. Now, this is a, it's a buzzword, and everyone has their own definition on what it actually means, and, and some people think about this thing. But honestly, I think of it as caring for and loving people. And it's not, I know the word pastoral isn't there, but it's not a pastor's job, but it is, because we're all pastors. We all need to be pastors. Pastoral care, we need to care for our friends. We need to care for our family. We need to care for people who need that care from us, okay? And that love is crucial to building friendship. And it leads me to, oh, sorry, especially when they don't know that they need it, which leads me to my fifth and final point in Jesus's guide to making friends, which is we need to challenge our friends. This is a hard one for both sides of the friendship. But without a challenge, we get comfy. We get, yeah, friends, that sort of thing. And comfy doesn't last forever. There have been times in my life where I've gotten comfy with friends, and 
when you stay in comfy too long and you don't push out to the challenge, it leads to boredom. It leads to disinterest. And I have literally lost friends because I haven't challenged, because I haven't stepped up and said, hey, you should do this. The reason this step is last is that it drives people away if you do it first. <laughs> we don't want to go out and just challenge straight away because that leads to stress. That leads to pain. We need to build up that love. We need to build up that sacrifice, the common ground, all those sorts of things so that we can then challenge. Jesus, Jesus actively challenged his disciples all the time. He balanced it with love, absolutely. But he challenged. He even full-on rebukes Peter at one point, saying, get behind me, Satan. Now, if he started his relationship with Peter by doing that, he wouldn't be called Peter. He'd still be Simon. Part of a real friendship means pulling up your friends if they're missing the mark. And it can suck sometimes. It can hurt. But it needs to be done because it is an act of love. Paul wants us to know this gospel. He wants us to share it, just as Jesus told us to. And he wants us to be friends with people and build them up and challenge them. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good news. And God, we pray for those people who we know who don't know the good news or don't quite know the good news yet. And God, I pray that you help us be friends. Pray you help challenge us to build up people around us, to listen to them and to share with them. And God, help us love the gospel and help us talk about it. We thank you for all the, the words that you've given us um, through the Bible and through, through your, your voice, and I just pray that you continue doing that. And Jesus, help us build your church here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.